Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome back for another episode of DWMOD. Uh, man, I know it's been a little while since the last episode, but you can probably still hear it in my voice a little bit. The COVID took us out for a minute. Uh, no worries, though, man. You know, I'm intelligent. I'm vaxxed and boosted. And, you know, it was really nothing more than basically just a cold with a little bit of headaches and some aches. It was really nothing but wiped my voice right out, man. Took my voice right out and we could not get anything recorded i mean you know we tried sat down and got a little something going and it just it just sounded too bad man we just couldn't do it and uh you know starting to come back voice is feeling better now so we're ready to roll this week but there's a lot to cover man a lot has happened since we've all sat down together and we're gonna get into it and it's gonna be right on time as hbo started the hard knocks with the detroit lions and oh man we're gonna get into that it's been great we're gonna dive into that we're gonna touch base a little bit on the live golf you know we put our piece down on that a little couple episodes ago and uh you know we're gonna double down on our opinion on that no doubt and as the lions over at training camp are laying down the moniker of detroit versus everybody which you know we tweet we live and we love um that's gonna take us into a pretty serious segment that's bigger than sports and it's bigger than a lot of other things we talk about on this show but it's very very serious to me and i take it very very seriously and it's absolutely something that's detroit versus everybody and we're going to get in on that and i'm pretty pissed off about it so we're going to be pulling no punches College football season's getting ready to start. Ohio State has taken the number one spot in the preseason poll, bumping Alabama for the first time probably since we've all been alive. I don't know. But more importantly, we're going to get into Alabama's whining and crying about the NIL deals that are going on. The Big Ten and, and the SEC are running away with every damn team in the country. We'll see what's happening there. I'll give you my two cents on that. We got quick hits. We got knock it off. So stay with me now. It's time for Disagree With Me or Don't. That's D-W-M-O-D. Let's go. Hey, congratulations to the Lions great Matt Stafford, Super Bowl champion. Don't! Hut! 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 Hey, it's 2022, and Sweet Lou Whitaker still ain't in the Hall of Fame. This is an atrocity. Ready! Aw, Lions fans drinking that Kool-Aid Super Bowl. Hey, disagree with me or don't. That's how it works. The Dan Campbell era has officially started in Detroit, and I'm all in simply for the change in culture that it'll bring. I can't wait for hard knocks. I hope the last two seasons of NBA basketball have brought upon the death of the super team. But we all know it hasn't. Just wait till the offseason. I'm not interested in your hot take clickbait, man. It's irresponsible sports media. Knock it off. Ready? Hey, we're handing out baseball parlays every day for free, and we're winning. Stay with me now. Hey, disagree with me or don't. That's how it works. All right, we're back. We're back. And uh, (laughs) let me tell you what. That boxing bell has never been more appropriate than what we're about to get into. Now, I was going to throw this little segment into the knock-it-off section, but then I decided, no, this isn't really a knock-it-off thing at all. Knock-it-off is kind of casual and just like, stop that shit, man. Um, This shit is ridiculous. I want to talk to you guys about uh, a shitty little ice cream shop uh, near Midtown in Detroit. Now, you might have seen this story about probably about a month ago, and the owner of this shop Uh, put out a tweet with a Detroit police car out in front of his ice cream shop, 
And the car was parked up in front of the shop there on the street where there's supposed to be no parking. And, of course, you know, the tweet was labeled, well, we can uh, overlook the annoying parking when you're not supposed to park there, but we're not going to serve ice cream to any police officers that are dressed in tactical gear such as bulletproof vests. Now, I know you remember this, especially if you're in Detroit. Even national news, you probably might have heard this. This thing blew up as you expect it would blow up the way things are divided politically in this country right now. It blew up so much to the point that my man had to put out another tweet explaining his position, and he didn't back it up any at all. My man took to Twitter and stated, We will not be serving any police officers while you wear bulletproof vests. It makes all of our customers uncomfortable the way you're dressed in militarized gear in our store. If you'd like to have some of our ice cream, we please ask you to come back after your shift and don't wear your uniforms in the store. (laughs) Okay, my man. Well, as this thing blew up, I decided to do a little uh, investigating on myself to find out who is this guy that owns this ice cream shop down in the new center area that, you know, has been up and coming and being rebuilt. So I found out from some research, this guy's name's Timothy Mahoney. And again, his little uh, ice cream shop is called Cold Truth Ice Cream. Now, he's got a lot of opinions about Detroit and says he's so proud to call Detroit his home and all these things like that. Well, come to find out that Timothy Mahoney made it to Detroit by way of San Francisco to New York. And he splits his time between New York and Detroit for about the last 15 years or so. He's been doing that. This guy's 50 something years old. So, you know, uh, not calling Detroit his home. Suburbanite at best a few months out of the year. But how did he make his way from San Francisco to New York and then to Detroit? And let me give you a little background on this guy, okay? This guy works for an ad agency called BBDO. BBDO is one of the biggest ad agencies, you know, in the country. It's a pretty big, pretty big ad agency, okay? He's a creative director, and in his bio, you know, he states that he prides himself that he came up in the mail room in San Francisco and then worked his way into some accounts and then got out to New York. And then somewhere 15 years or so ago, uh, you know, th- this his ad agency ended up getting a big account with one of the big three here in Detroit, which led him to start splitting his time between New York and Detroit. But that's not my main point. My main point here is this is a guy who makes a living on trends and and capitalizing on them. You know what I mean? So there's no shock here that this guy would open an ice cream shop on Cass near Midtown, which is a hotbed area of hipster money and gentrification business turnover. He's an opportunistic ad man, okay? He's a trends guy, okay? He operates from a place of what sells? What will drive business? What's my demographic here? What's my audience here, okay? First, he gets a booming location in the city where young hipsters are flocking. He opens a trendy pop-up, as he claims, ice cream shop that sells ice cream at a price only suburbanites and hipsters would, would shell out, you know, because it's vegan. You follow me here? I mean, he knows his audience, He knows who he's selling to, okay? He's made a career of this, a lot of money from this. Now, what's another hot button, uh, a hot topic issue that grabs the attention of this audience that he's selling to right now? It's militarization of police, okay? Now, I'm not here to argue that, so let's not get off track here, okay? I'm pointing out that militarized police is a passion issue of a target demographic. It not only grabs their attention, But more importantly, it grabs their monetary support, okay? Now, understanding that and understanding this guy's background in advertising, let me point out something gross to you. 
This guy goes on this social media campaign to not serve police officers in bulletproof vests. Okay, he does it with a post showing a police car out in front of his his ice cream shop illegally parked, as I already discussed. Now, that's intended to incite and strike a nerve with the base that he's looking to sell to. That's, That's looking to strike a nerve that the police feel that they're above the law. Look at this car. They park however they want. He's trying to get at it right away. That's advertising, okay? Also knowing that the negative backlash of pro-police blue life matters people is coming okay but as an ad man he knows that this is a social media gold mine okay it's great advertising it's free advertising stay with me now as planned a social media firestorm evolves out of this thing with pro-police folks boycotting cold truth ice cream shop all over social media And the young hipster woke crowd that's anti-police militarization, you know, they're activists on that, and a majority of his customers, well, they strike back on social media with comments of their own, right? And now there's a firestorm of social media brewing here, and it's gaining steam, and it begins to gain national coverage, okay? It's a great ad campaign for this guy. It's what he does. It's a great social media play. He knows his base. They're going to turn out with comments like they did. And these are quotes from some of the comments that were on this thread. Um, Fuck cops. I hope they all fucking die. I'm going to go down there and give this guy a fucking medal because fuck those pigs. You know, ignorant statements like that, that the rest of us that fall in the realm of common sense and not this political division see as like contradictory to everything we're trying to to achieve on both sides in the real world. You know, we don't want any of this dumb shit going on. Besides the fact that it's a disgusting point of view, but that discussion's for another day. But all these eyeballs in this firestorm on this ice cream shop of his is generating business by the supporters of his cause. And I'm throwing that up in uh, air quotes because it's not his. And here's the main point. It's all well-timed because it's just days after the Jalen Walker murder in Akron, Ohio. Days after Jalen Walker's gunned down by police officers in Akron, gunned down by 60 bullets. We never heard any of this from this guy in his ice cream shop until just right now. It's intentionally well-timed to capitalize monetarily, and it's fucking gross. It's disgustingly gross to use Jalen Walker like that. It's disgustingly gross to exploit the important issue of police officers shooting minorities, specifically black minorities just to get supporters to buy his fucking ice cream. And also, importantly to me, it's tone deaf. It's tone deaf and gross to put those things on Detroit for profit, okay? To throw the Detroit police under the bus for profit. We don't need that shit in our community, my man, so take that shit back across 8 Mile. There's a reason you don't hear about the Detroit police on national news like all these other cities when it comes to policing, okay? They do it right. They interact with the community. They're involved with the community. A vast majority of these guys live right in the communities that they police, okay? They've worked hard to earn the trust of Detroiters. They worked in extreme conditions in the same rough neighborhoods without Jalen Walker-type incidents, without George Floyd-type incidents on a daily basis, okay? On a daily basis, they're a shining example to other urban departments, And they've earned the trust of Detroit, okay? They've earned that reputation, and they should be able to eat a fucking ice cream while wearing a life-saving bulletproof vest. And your customers shouldn't be in fear, air quotes, over that. They should be completely comfortable, unless, you know, they're not from Detroit, and they bring their preconceived blanketed notions of other police departments with them down I-96 from the suburbs to get a $12 ice cream and walk to the downtown Moose Jaw store while Henry the Hatter gets pushed out of business. 
Yeah, I'm sure your customers, your demographic, feel safe as they get off the freeway and park in the new center area and tool around before they jump back in the ditch, which is I-96, and head back to the burbs. Okay, I'm sure they see no need for these officers to be wearing bulletproof vests. Meanwhile, there are vast areas of the city that these brave men and women need to protect where that life-protecting equipment is necessary. But please, please, let's ask them all to remove it so that you can all come down to the city and not be made to feel uncomfortable. So that you can all stay in your bubble of comfortability and profit off the gentrification of a small area of the city. Let's all make sure that you don't have to feel any of the realities of what's happening in the rest of the city that is, you know, not considered valuable to people like you and remains untouched by the recent windfalls of profit received by downtown business revitalization. You know, the areas that these men and women need to go and police after being told they're not good enough for your $12 ice cream. And those areas exist whether you've seen them or not. And in a horrible turn of events, just three days after your little marketing ploy to sell your ice cream, tragedy struck. And an officer named Lauren Quartz, who was a five-year veteran of the Detroit Police Department, who had recently received a citation for apprehending a murder suspect and obtaining the murder weapon during the apprehension. He just received a citation for that recently, been on the job five years. And just three days after your gross fucking attempt to sell some ice cream, this guy was gunned down by an AK-47 in the city. The vest couldn't even help him. This guy was a husband and a father. And his wife, Christine, took to Facebook to post that following Thursday morning. And this is what she had to say. And you should hear it. He was an amazing dad, my best friend, and the man I married. All the news articles talk about is a DPD officer. He was so much more to me and his kids. Our Batman. I'm broken. I can't begin to imagine how we're going to live without him. My babies need him. I need him. I keep thinking I'm going to wake up from this nightmare and he's going to come home. That's heartbreaking, man. That's heartbreaking for real, man. But yeah, let's make sure that you're comfortable when you come visit this city. All you suburbanites with your comments on there about what you wish would happen to police officers. All you idiots that had stupid shit to say. Because you feel triggered by the militarization of other cities' police departments. I'll tell you what, Timothy Mahoney, why don't you go open your uh, overpriced shitty ice cream shop in one of those other cities, and then all your little idiots with their stupid comments, maybe they can come and visit there, and then when you tell the cops to leave and go away and they can't have any of your ice cream, maybe these idiots can throw some rocks at them or something while they're at it. But as far as having your opinions about Detroit, and having your opinions about the Detroit Police Department, and as far as you being Detroiters, you're fucking not. Pack it up and beat it, man. And there'll be no knock-it-off soundbite at the end of this one. Because it's Detroit versus everybody. And you're fucking everybody. I hope nobody buys any shitty ice cream from those shitty shop down on Cass near Midtown. And that's the cold truth. Now, before we get into quick hits here, I also just want to, on that note, send a shout-out of support to my main man, one of my best friends my whole life, played ball together in college. Lauren Granger, he's the head coach of the football team at Battle Creek Central High School in Battle Creek. Now, that's on the west side of the state in Michigan, for those of you that don't know. And that's not one of the greatest neighborhoods in the state. It's a pretty rough area. And he's been the coach there for 22 years at that school. I mean, providing real change in the community. My man has really dug in in the community. A lot of the time, he'll have kids on his team that just don't have anywhere to go. 
don't have anyone at home with him, and he'll take him into his own home. And I just want to give a big shout-out of support to his program. They just lost a player to gun violence in the neighborhood. The young man was shot and killed. And when I was talking to my buddy Lauren, um, I was shocked to find out that in his 22 years coaching the Battle Creek Central football team, he's lost 30 players, 30 players to death by some kind of gun violence or, you know, just inner city violence. 22 years, man, he's lost 30 players. That's insane. That's crazy, man. That's crazy. So any of you can get online and and you see they're doing some fundraisers for the team and they're doing anything, anything you can do to help them out over there at Battle Creek Central High School, please track it down and please do it. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to say anything stupid like thoughts and prayers because that don't do nothing, man. But I just want to let him know that he's constantly on my mind. You're my man, and keep doing what you're doing, my man. It may not feel like it's much, but it's it's so much more than you think it is, and everybody in that community loves you, man, and you're doing a lot of good, a lot of good. Stick with it, man. Now let's get into some quick hits, guys. Hey, Live Golf snatched up another uh, golfer there. They snatched up Cameron Smith, hot on the heels of his win at the British Open. And, you know... I'm not going to blame these guys for going to grab their money, man. If, if that's your thing and you want to be involved with that, then go ahead and go grab your money. But don't be crying to have it both ways that you should also be allowed to play in the PGA Tour. Okay? That's a conflict of interest, man. So all these silly little lawsuits that you're going to make them let you play both and all that, no, they don't have to do that, man. And I hope the PGA wins on that. And furthermore, if you listen to our episode about Live Golf, when we laid it all out, what it's all about, you can tune into that if you need to catch up. Go back through the archives. But we did mention Tiger Woods. And we mentioned that we knew they were going after Tiger Woods. And it was just reported, I think, about a week and a half ago that they were going after Tiger Woods hard. And they were going after Tiger Woods at the tune of seven to $800 million to get him to go play on Live Golf. And we told you on the show, we knew it was a huge number like that. And we told you they're wasting their time barking up the wrong tree because Tiger ain't going to go for it. He just ain't going to go for it, and they're wasting their time. And Tiger said, I'm not going for it. I'm not going for it. I'm not going to play. And furthermore, he went on to say that the British Open was doing the right thing and not inviting Greg Norman to the 150th anniversary. That guy's on the outs, man. Greg Norman's been on the outs for a long time. He was on the outs when he was a player. Nobody liked him, said he was a phony, disingenuous. Now he's running around with the Saudis trying to take over the golf game. And uh, kudos to Tiger Woods for telling him, go piss up a rope, man. I don't need your fucking money. For those of you that follow baseball and you've been following us as we tweet out our parlays and and things, um, you're familiar with the Yankees' closer, Holmes. He's been the most unhittable pitcher in the first half of the season uh, by far, he was the most unhittable pitcher. When he came into the game, it was over. He was 49-0 and with the one-run lead going into ninth innings or something like that. Crazy, right? Uh, this guy blew two epic saves, and the only reason I bring that up, because we had money on those games, but he blew two epic saves in the ninth inning after being untouchable to two of the worst teams in professional baseball um, and by multiple runs. And I only point that out because after that, he's been unhittable again. He's been really, really good. But going into the ninth inning with a three-run lead against the Reds, he blew it and lost 4-3, to three. couldn't find the strike zone, wild everybody, walked a bunch of guys, hit a guy, and then gave up a couple of hits to blow that game. Um, I don't know. I mean, the odds to the Reds to win at the time were like 170,000 to 1. 
Somebody got paid. And then I believe it was the Royals. He blew a three-run lead to the Royals. Couldn't find the strike zone. One of the best pinpoint accurate pitchers in the league. Doesn't walk guys. He couldn't find the strike zone. Hit batters. Hits all over the place. Drops a three-run lead to the Royals in the ninth inning one. So, I don't know. I just find it curious that it happened at 170,000 to one uh, two times in a row. So, I don't know, man. I thought that was funny. Hmm. Hey, it's been brought to everybody's attention that USC and UCLA will be joining the Big Ten after next season. So they've snatched up the Pac-12, and now it looks like all the other schools out that way are scurrying to try to get into the Big Ten or to try to get in with the Big 12, which I think is kind of a mistake, but I'm not going to get into all that right now. But that just brings me to that point that we had talked about before that, um, you know, we just uh, I see the future of college football and we talked about it years ago, uh, being two mega conferences. And right now it looks like that's going to be the Big Ten and the SEC. They're going to continue to add teams until they're two mega conferences. And within those conferences, they're going to have an East and a West in the Big Ten. They'll have an East and the West in the SEC. And each one will have their own playoff, which will be just like uh, you know the NFL. It's going to be just like the NFL, like AFC, NFC, right? So each one of those conferences will have their own playoff to crown a champ, and then those two champs will meet in what will be deemed the national championship game. I just see that that's where football's headed. The NCAA will not be involved. We've been preaching that for more than a couple of years on this show. The NCAA is toast. They toasted themselves when they let that NIL deal go through. And I just see that being the future of college football. Those two conferences will play a playoff amongst themselves, and then they'll have a mega, you know, they'll have a conf- they'll have a, a, a championship Super Bowl national championship style game between the SEC and the Big Ten, and that'll be your national champ. And I think all the other Division One schools that don't get into those two conferences will probably stick with the NCAA, and we'll have a version of an NCAA Division One national championship playoff and game. They'll have their own little national championship, and these two mega conferences will basically just be minor league football affiliated with universities. And that'll take us over into our knock it offs, and because while we're on the topic of NIL, we gotta talk about Nick Saban. I mean, are you kidding me? The hypocrisy of this dude. I can't believe he gets on TV and speaks the way he does and thinks anybody takes him seriously. I mean, the statements that he's been making that this is bad for competitive parity among college football. Competitive parity? I mean, what's the competitive competitive parity on the field when he's scheduling the the Citadel? Like, this guy's worried about competitive parity every year when he's scheduling 1A teams to mop up? I mean, come on, dude. Competitive parity? He's been dominating recruiting for I don't know how long and who knows how before this NIL stuff came in. I mean, let's just let's just address what's really going on here, man. He's afraid. He's afraid of the SEC adding bigger schools, adding more schools, and he's afraid that this NIL stuff is just going to be taking a stranglehold on his recruiting at the same time, man. And and his retort to all of it is we're gonna we're gonna have a damaging effect on competitive parity when he's won seven of the last fourteen national titles. Where's the what what are you talking about competitive parity? And then I heard the guy say it's supposed to be about education. This is supposed to be about education. Oh my God, stop it, stop it! You sound like a blithering old idiot. And now he's asking that they put a, a cap on the NIL. There should be an NIL cap. These kids shouldn't be able to earn. What they want to earn, is there a coaching pay cap? Is there a coaching pay cap to quit and jump to another school? Do they cap your pay? But there should be an NIL cap so that 
you can get back to having an advantage in the recruiting. And here's what he's terrified of. All these schools in the SEC, he's terrified of places like, oh, I don't know, schools in Florida where there's no income tax and bigger cities to make bigger money deals like in Miami. Who wouldn't want to go to Miami and get an NIL deal in the city of Miami and don't pay any income tax on it? He's just becoming very aware of the fact that in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, you ain't got shit to offer them on that other than some booster money. And other places are going to have a lot more to offer, and you're not going to be able to outspend everybody. And you already got pissed off that you lost a bunch of recruits to Texas A&M because of NIL deals. Well, they didn't do anything illegal. The NCAA went ahead and made this thing legal to do. So Texas A&M went out and got a bunch of guys because you know why? Because they're in an area where they're going to make more money than they're going to make in Tuscaloosa. Quit crying. It's passing you by. It is what it is. Just knock it off. All right, knock it off. Knock it off. I just want to touch on the Brittany Grenier thing just for a quick second. And, um, you know, recently on the Bronze Show, uh, the barbershop, you know, we, we heard what he had to say about it. Uh, talking about like her government's failed her. And his quote was, uh, she has to feel like as if this country doesn't love her back. She has to be questioning the fact that she even wants to come back to this country. Now, listen, I'm not getting into the left or the right side of that statement. I'm just saying it's a really dumb statement, man. It's like it's really tone deaf when millionaires start talking about other millionaires. And yes, Brittany Grenier's a millionaire playing basketball. When they get to talking about other millionaires and making statements like, well, this country doesn't love her back. Like, her, she's producing such a great, uh, I don't know, product for this country. Like, she loves her country so much she plays basketball for it, and this country doesn't love her back. I mean, I think I feel like I understand what he's trying to say, but it's not what he said. It's not what he's saying. And I bet if you ask Brittany Grenier right now, would she want to come back to this country? I bet she would. I bet she would. You know, and on that note, I just think it's really, really silly that people get so politically involved with this situation. Like there's knuckleheads online screaming for her to be locked up forever. because She took drugs into another country and and she should be locked up forever for that. And that's their laws. And boo hoo. You you should stay there. And like what kind of dumbass right wing shit is that to say? Like you wish that on anybody. It's an unfortunate situation. Was she stupid for putting that in her luggage to take to Russia? Yeah. Was she stupid to even go over there and play in the offseason? Yeah. She could have went and played in Italy or something like that. I bet you she feels like it was stupid in hindsight right now. But there's no reason you need to be wishing her to be locked up in jail forever, too. You know? And on the other side of the fence, all this, we should be trying our best to trade her for prisoners to bring her home from people on the left? Like, why are you so ingrained on the left that you are involved in this, like, a basketball player should be traded spies or weapons dealers for? Like, no, man. I'm sorry. That's... It's not something that's going to happen. I mean, there's real journalists over there trying to uncover stuff that get captured we don't make trades for. There's spies on our side of the fence that get caught we don't make trades for. And and now people on the left want to be all up in arms that, like, we're not going to make a trade to get her home, like, top priority to get her home, like there's no other Americans over there, which we've learned there are that have been there for crimes like this. Like, there's no outcry to bring them home. You know, and I'm not saying she shouldn't come home. I'm just saying, quit being so in, entangled in your right wing and left wing bullshit, man. And at the end of the day, like you probably heard Joe Rogan say at first, but uh, the rest of us intelligent people have been saying the same things that like there are people in this country that are still in jail for little pot charges and little marijuana charges. And marijuana is now legal here. 
And there's no outcry from these political people to get those people freed. And don't act as if there is. There isn't, you know. But if they whip up this thing on the left because it's all political and it's Russia and, and they whip it up that we should be trying to get her freed, now all of a sudden, like, a major assignment on your docket is to try to get Brittany Grenier freed for drug charges and marijuana because it's ridiculous. Yeah, I agree. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But understand, it's political. It has nothing to do with their ridiculous little law over there. They took her because it's political, because it's done what it's done. That's why they did it. So, I mean... Just quit being on the right side and the left side. Just be on the common sense side, man. If that's not that big an issue for you, there are people here that are locked up in jail for marijuana, and it's legal here. It's horrible. It's horrible. I, I wish she didn't have to go through that. It's stupid. Yeah, she was taken because of who she is, and that that's, that's, that's terrible, man, but that's Russia. You know, it's, it is what it is, man, and there's nothing that we can do about it. I'm not sure we should be trading you know, war criminals to, to free her. We should be doing everything we can. And my heart goes out to her and her family. It's a terrible tragedy, but I don't, I'm not playing this right side of the fence, left side of the fence on this stuff, man. Just knock it off. All right. Knock it off. Knock it off. Oh, we're going to talk about some hard knocks in a second here. We're about to get into the Detroit Lions on hard knocks. But before we get to that, I got to tell you next week, when the episode's getting ready to come on and you got everybody over to the house and you're getting ready to all sit around and watch the Lions on Hard Knocks, we got to make sure we got a couple of things, guys, right? You got some underage folks at the house. You got people bringing their kids over, your nephew, your cousins over. You know, they're not quite 21. We want to make sure we got all the Fago we can get. We want to make sure we got all kind of better made chips for everybody. Make sure we got Fago pops for the kids. We want to make sure we got those things, right? But for the adults, we need to make sure that we have the official beer of the DWMOD podcast. And get some Old English 800. Get you some Old English 800. Get you a splash of orange juice in there. Have yourself a brass monkey. And enjoy the Lions on Hard Knocks. You will not regret it. All right, now let's get to it. Let's get to it. We've been waiting a long time in Detroit to get ourselves some hope, some real honest hope, some real honest hope. About a Detroit Lions season. We'll drink the Kool-Aid every year. I've been guilty. We'll drink the Kool-Aid. We're going to be good this year. We're going to be good this year. We never are, right? But we're all excited now. And we were saying it last year and, and even before when we hired Dan Campbell before last season's shows. We were saying, hey, this is the guy, man. We're all in. You can hear the quote at the beginning of the show and the middle of the Tech Mobile theme song. That's from one of our shows, man. All in on Dan Campbell. This is the guy. You have got to change the culture here. And if you've been watching Hard Knocks and you don't think that this guy has these players bought into this message, you ain't watching. This ain't some normal uh, coaching rah-rah shit, man. These guys are bought in, and he's the genuine article. I mean, you can watch him, and you can see it's genuine. It's real. I mean, that speech after he has him going live on the first day where he's just telling him, just trust me, man. Just trust me, man. All I think about is you guys. That speech was honest, and it was real. And that's what players will relate to. I mean, football players, especially at that level, they will find a phony in a minute. And they know that he's not it. They know that he's not it. And it's the way that he speaks to them, you know? He wasn't, he wasn't talking to him that speech that he gave them about, this is what we have to do, and I promise I'm not crazy. Just trust me, man. I mean, he was being honest. He wasn't saying, this is what we got to do if we want to be top of the pack, top of the... He was breaking it down for him. 
This is why I'm doing this. I'm not a nut job. Stay with me now. This is how we get better. I mean, he's got them guys, man. Shit, I'm thinking back on this last couple sentences I just said, and he's got me saying, man, all the damn time. But if you just look at the history of him that they laid out on the show, you will see that he's the genuine article. Uh, you know, like in Miami when they made him the interim coach, you know, so that whole Miami situation. Uh, he goes to like being an intern at at Dolphins minicamp to being an assistant at the actual training camp to being the tight ends coach to them being named interim coach for like a vast majority of the season, man, like 11 games. Now, the thing about interim coaches in the NFL or anywhere, they're usually sentimental or like player response picks to coach the team. You know what I'm saying? Meaning that like the season's usually a wash. They're not getting anywhere. The main guys got fired and they want a guy who will jolt the team into playing with pride again. You know, somebody to go out there and, and like run through a wall for just something to give them that quick energizing jolt so that they start playing hard again. That's usually what an interim coach is, you know, so that's why they pick a guy like him when they did that. So it just lets you know he's the real deal about player connection. And I absolutely loved his ocean analogy. Like, again, to me, as as a, you know, I played a lot of football and, and, and being a coach myself, his message to the team on that ocean analogy is dead on. You can't walk into that room of guys, especially those, those aren't college players. Those, those are professionals. Those are millionaires in the room. You know what I mean? There's a lot of guys in there that, are, that make a lot of money. You're not going to go in there and rah-rah those guys. You know, so if he walks in there with the message of we can do it this year, we just got to believe in us, man. We're here for us. Let's go win this thing. If we just try hard, that message ain't going to resonate with them guys. They're going to be like, yeah, yeah, we hear the same shit every year. But when he goes in there and gives them that analogy, that real analogy that tells them, hey, man, we're not there yet. Okay, we ain't there yet. We got to work hard to try to get there. But let me just tell you this. If we can just get to the water, you know. And then we can drag some of them. We've talking about dragging those other teams out into the deep water and then just treading water longer than they will, and we'll drown them. You know, he's telling them just his message about grit. If we're just gritty and we stay in the game and we keep trying, we don't worry about all the dumb shit that usually seems to happen to this team with penalties and fumbles and just all snatching victory, snatching loss from the jaws of victory. If we don't worry about those things and work hard to just clean those up, but just claw and fight and play with grit, and if we just drag one of those good teams out into that deep water and just keep chipping away at them, we can drown a few of them, man. And then we'll be in a position where who knows what can happen. Let's just get there. You know what I mean? That's the perfect message for this team. And that gets those guys to buy into it because that's the message this team needs. They don't, they, they don't need to be told, let's go win the division. That's, that's Come on, man. We know that's probably not realistic. But if we just go out there and work and try to drag a few teams out in the deep water, maybe we're right there to make the playoffs at the end of the year. Maybe we get hot right at the right time, and maybe we just play really well and get into the playoffs and then play even better. Who knows? Let's just try to get to the water. Man, like that speech was brilliant and honest and real. And then he rolls right into Hutch, get up here and give us a song. That shit was funny. That was funny, man. And this was something that, like, I always find funny that these guys that are, like, these athletes that are, these guys perform in front of, the Hutchins is playing at a big house, man, 100,000 people, national playoffs against Georgia. Like, this is a guy that's used to going out and perform in front of everybody, and that shit doesn't bother him. But as soon as you put him in a small 
intimate setting where there's like 40 to 50 people watching them do something and they got to do it, a public speaking type thing, when they get real nervous like that, I always find it funny, man. Like, I always find it funny. Like, we do our comedy shows out here in, in L.A., and when we were doing them regularly with professional wrestlers, we'd have guys from WWF, WWE. They'd come in, uh, indies, all these guys would come in, and they would do a comedy show with us at Second City. Real small little venue, real intimate, and all they had to do was go out there and just tell stories from the road and then, you know, play around with us and joke around with us. And these dudes would be backstage, and a lot of them would be so nervous about what was going to happen when they walked out there in front of this crowd. And I just always found it very funny, man. Like, you're used to huge houses, huge pops, being on SmackDown on Thursday nights or whatever, and everywhere you go, people want your autograph and stuff, but this little room of people is intimidating to them. And it's just funny. It's just it's just very funny to see it. You can see it all over his face. And then once they got into it, he got into it, and it was a lot of fun. But that was pretty ridiculous, man. That was hilarious. And then they were talking about how ridiculous, like, that Guardian cap was. Some of the guys were laughing about him and stuff. And, yeah, they look a little bit silly, but I'm telling you, that Guardian cap is great. I mean, I don't know what took so long with that. I really don't know what took so long with that. You can take off just seasons of beatings through training camp by just wearing those things, and they're great. And I don't know what took so long to get that thing going. Somebody made a million dollars on some shit that should have happened 20 years ago. And I'm telling you right now, Mark Klesko from the Buffalo Bills is finally redeemed. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, get on Google and Google Mark Kelso and look at the picture. And if you're a big-time football fan, you remember him back in the 90s with the Bills. This dude wore like a giant extra foam helmet on top of his helmet, and he would have it painted up to look like the Bills helmet. But he was basically wearing one of these things 20 years ago. Check it out. Now, I'm not sure how many of you guys out there were aware of the assistant coach situation uh, with the Lions. Now, I was aware of most of these guys, but I, you know, I got to admit, like when they started rolling through the names, I'd forgotten about a few of them being involved with the team. And some of them, I, I didn't know that they were involved with the team, man. But this is a great list of coaches that kind of makes you feel old. But also, man, it's a great list of dudes that you can remember watching growing up, man. Mark Brunel, he was good, man. Deuce Staley, Antoine Randall L, Kellen Shepard, Fraley, I mean, Glenn. I remember watching all these guys play, and I think there's something to that. You know, there's great coaches out there that didn't play at that level and things like that, but there's also something to be said for the respect of the guys in the room. Like, you can see in that running back group, especially with DeAndre Swift, man, in the last episode, you can see the respect those guys give Deuce Staley. You can see the respect they give him because of who he is, where he played, how he played. You can see they're listening. They are listening and trying to learn from that guy. It's just a different dynamic, and I think it's a great fit for Dan Campbell. I think it goes right along with what he's trying to do. I think that whole thing works. I think on another team, underneath another coach, like, you know, I don't know, any other coach in the league that's, that didn't play like these guys did, I think if you put these guys underneath a different coach that hadn't played like these guys, it kind of undermines them. But when you got Dan Campbell and these guys all together, it's just a great dynamic for these players. And all these guys that he picked, they are all perfectly in line with his grit statement. I mean, they all fit Detroit, man. They all fit Detroit. They are the right crew for Detroit. They are guys that uh, Detroiters are watching the hard knocks right now, and they're like in love with these guys, man. 
I mean, Glenn and Staley going at it like they were at practice. That whole vulture circling bit. Why are you circling me? Well, that's what vultures do. That's what vultures do. I mean, like, I, I could just be right back in the neighborhood or right back at the firehouse listening to two guys go at it like that that are just genuine, for real Detroit dudes, man. And it just fits. This is just a, a good fit. Now, I will tell you this. There was one scene that I found highly annoying. All right, when, when Hutchinson and Obino were in the, the, the ice baths and the tubs, um, I just found that extremely annoying, man. <laughs> like, Hutchinson just couldn't catch on to what my man was trying to tell him. Like, he just couldn't catch on to the fact that the guy was saying, no, I chose Memphis and I choose Memphis again. I've only been playing football seven years. I'd only been playing a couple years when I went to Memphis. I played like one year before I got there. So going to Alabama or Michigan, I would have been lost in the shuffle, man. I just, I wouldn't be where I'm at had I chose those schools. And Hutchins just, he couldn't register that because in his world, in his experience, that's all that it, there was like no you go to these big schools and this is what you're going to do because i've been getting trained since i was a child by my dad who played in the nfl and was a great college player and like, like he couldn't take himself out of his own shoes to see the situation for somebody else was different he just was baffled by that but what annoyed me about that situation was all the talk about offers oh my god i want to pull my hair out every time i hear about offers yeah, I mean, like, I'm a, I'm a high school coach at a very prominent program in California right now where, I mean, you can go on our, our Instagram account for Calabasas football and you can see all the Power 5 D1 guys from our conference that are playing right now across the country. It's a high-profile program. And all I hear about is offers, man. It's like all these kids care about is who would you get offers from? They just want to collect them. And for the most part, it's all bullshit. Like, they'll come in and, and, and these kids, and not just at Calabas, I'm talking about all across the country. If you're a high school coach, you know what I'm talking about. They will come in and just complain about, well, I was on social media yesterday and I saw so-and-so from this other school. I mean, he got offered. He's got offers and I don't got offers, coach. How come I don't got offers? Or guys on their own team. They'll be like, well, this guy, this guy on our own team, he got an offer and I ain't got an offer. And, and you'll just be like, it's all bullshit. He doesn't have an offer. He talked to a coach, and then he took the social media to try to parlay that into interest from other coaches by saying, I got offered. Because during that conversation, that coach was like, hey, we'd love to have you come play here. That's not an offer. That's what they tell everybody. They're telling everybody, hey, yeah, we'd love to have you. Oh, you look good. That's not an offer. An offer is, we'd like to offer you a scholarship. That's an offer. And when these kids see these other kids got offers, they start going bonkers about what they don't have. And it's like, it just drives me crazy. It drives me nutty because it becomes their own focus, and then they lose focus of what they're supposed to be doing. And I just try to stick to one message with these kids on that, man. I'm always telling them, keep your eyes on your own paper. Just keep your eyes on your own paper. You're looking at everybody else's paper and everybody else's work, and you don't got shit written down on your own paper yet. Just keep your eyes on your own paper, man. All that offer talk, oh, my God, is that overblown. Anyways, I'm going to get off of that. I'm going to get off of that soapbox, but it's the truth. I thought the first episode was real good. I thought they showed us the things they needed to show us to set us up for the, for the second episode. And then the start of the second episode, I mean, they just nail it. They just nail it. When they get to talking about what Detroit is, who Detroiters are, real Detroiters, not like that ice cream asshole, but real Detroiters, you know what I mean? Uh, this city will love you if you just play hard. If you just play hard and you have grit, this is the city that will love you. 
uh, and, I, and I've had this conversation with so many people before about all the players in this city that, that are loved, man. Like the Red Wings, the grind line, all those Hall of Famers that were on those Red Wings Stanley Cup teams, all those guys are some of the best players that have ever played hockey. But you ask anybody around Detroit in a poll, and I guarantee you 70% of people will be like, oh, grind line was my favorite. Grind line was my favorite. They'll tell you. Draper and McCarty and those and Malpy, that, that was my those are my favorite guys. They were less talented and they just fucking played hard, man. They loved them. Guys like Lambeer and Mahorn, most talented guys on the Bad Boys team? Nope. Some of the most loved guys on the Bad Boys team? Yep. I mean, just like guys with the Tigers, like like Travis Fryman and, and, and Brandon Inge. These are guys that the city loved that weren't that great of ball players, man. But they left it out there every time they went out there. And they had big moments and they had bad moments. But we loved them because of how they played. Guys like Chris Bielman. Chris Bielman was an all-pro. Chris Bielman was a very good player, you know, but on a long list of, like, the greatest linebackers ever play the game, I, I mean, I, he's one of my favorites. He's up there. But he's just one of those guys, too, Detroit. We love that guy because he brought it. He played hurt. He played gritty. He was the heart and soul of those teams, man. Ben Wallace, come on, man. Ben Wallace, everybody loved Ben Wallace. When Ben Wallace took the floor, Ben Wallace played as hard as he could, man. So they just nail it with that message. If this team goes out there and plays like he's trying to get them to play, uh, this town will fall in love with this team. I mean, this this team could finish 8-9, and nine, and if they play as gritty as he's trying to get them to play, we'll love them. We'll love them and we'll be all in for next season. You know it's the truth. Which, on a sidebar, I've had many a conversation with, this is why I don't understand when everybody in this town turned on Ndamukong Sue. I just didn't understand it. It was like I didn't understand it. That that guy was the epitome of what we want as a, a player in Detroit. I mean, he was gritty. He went out there and played balls out. He didn't let anybody – he didn't take no shit from nobody. Like, he was absolutely the type of player that Detroit should love, you know. But, you know, powers that be got to the press, and they started writing bad about him, and they started reporting bad things about him, and they just turned everybody on him. And the real – I'm not going to get long-winded here, but the reality of the truth was – they had to pay Calvin, they had to pay Stafford, and they had to pay him. And they couldn't. The rules changed right after those three draft picks where, you know, rookie contracts and the money you could give guys, that all changed. So it was going to be a problem to try to pay these three guys more than they were already getting when new rookies coming in were coming in on smaller deals. They had to pick one guy they weren't going to pay. And the front office picked that they weren't going to pay Sue. They wanted Megatron, and they wanted Stafford, and they wanted those two together. And those two guys came in after Sue, and they paid them before they paid Sue and made it clear to Sue that he wasn't going to get paid. So when he fired his agent and said, I'm not talking contracts anymore and left for Miami, they forced him out the door, and then they demonized him, and the city just jumped on board with, yeah, beat it, we don't want you anyway. I just never understood it, man. That's a guy we should have loved and embraced. And and speaking about another one of those guys – the, Rodrigo might be one of those guys, right? I mean, he looks real promising. Rodrigo looks real promising, but here's my only holdback with Rodrigo is normally the rookie long shot on the team, sixth-round draft or, or free agent signing, you know, undrafted rookie that they sign that they feature on hard knocks usually ends up getting cut. He usually ends up getting cut at the end of the season and then picked up by somebody else or designated to the practice squad or just winds up being a special teams guy, which is great. I mean, being a special teams guy is great. That's fine. But, you know, this is just this is how we get as Lions fans. 
We've seen an episode where this guy's playing really well. Everybody on the team loves him. He looks like a great little sixth-round draft pick, and we're ready to turn him into the next Ray Lewis. I mean, let's slow down, man. I like the kid. I think he looks really, really good. Let's not lay that all on him right now. Let's let that kid develop, play some special teams, get in the game for some reps a little bit this year, and maybe develop. Let's not crown him yet and drown him under that pressure, man. He looks like a really good kid, man. And God knows we need to help at linebacker. And speaking of pressure, we can see a lot of pressure being laid on Swift for this season, man. They're expecting big, big things out of Swift this year. And I think Deuce is the perfect guy to be coaching him. You can see how much he cares, how much he's talking to him real. When he's got that iPad out at the end of the game, at right after Swift scores the touchdown, and he rolls back the other play, and he's telling him, hey, or that play, he's telling him, hey, you should have been inside. You should have been inside. You don't try to make a play on every play. You're going to make plays, but be here. And then he shows him that iPad. Now, you watch Swift's reaction. Normally, a guy in that situation would be, man, what are you complaining about, man? I got, the, I got it done. I got in the end zone. Well, Swift don't do that. Swift respects him, and he looks at that iPad, and you see Swift disappointed in the, in the move that he made. He looks at the iPad and goes, Shh, you're right, man. I got to get better at that. You see it on his face. And then Staley shows all the other guys with his eyebrows up like, you see? You see it right there, right? You see what I'm talking about? Be disciplined. Let's do it right. And he believes in Swift, man. Like, you can see that he really, really thinks Swift could be something special. And if he can get that out of him, I, I don't know, you know, if there's a better coach to possibly get that kid to turn the corner and do that. I'm excited to see what those two are going to do together, man. A lot of pressure on Swift, but I think I think Deuce is going to get him there. Now, there's another guy on the team they did a small little segment on that nobody needs to help to get there. I mean, the chip on Amon St. Brown's shoulder is so damn big, and I love it. My man's face was serious as hell when he was like, I will tell you every single dude that was drafted before me, and he ran them down. Like, that chip on his shoulder is so real, I love it. And when they talked about him breaking – the, uh, the Lions uh, receiving yardage and reception records for rookies. I was like, man, that's impressive. People may think that's a joke. That's not a joke, man. That's impressive. We've had some guys come through here. We've had some receivers come through here, 1,000-yard guys that have come through here, you know? I mean, guys like Brett Perriman and Johnny Morton when we're running the run and shoot and we're throwing a ton, right? Guys like Charlie Sanders. I mean, we, let, Herman Moore. Herman Moore. And let's not forget Calvin Johnson. Calvin Johnson, these are not scrubby receivers and also guys that played in pass-happy offenses, you know what I mean? So I think it was really impressive that he broke those records last year. This is not an organization that has not had great wide receivers. And as far as his dad, I was very familiar with that story last year. I had read it somewhere on an SI article or something about his dad being two-time Mr. Olympia. And if I'm not mistaken, like – him and his wife raised them like over in Europe and like they all speak multiple languages and he just trained them to be these athletes and they both made it to the NFL. And, you know, if you, you get a chance to dive into that, it's a, it's a really good story. But again, these were kids that like from a young age, they showed a love for this and their parents were in and groomed them and did everything they could to make sure that it happened for them, man. And that's a great story. I love when his dad was in the gym and was like, all these fancy trainers want to tell you, oh, do this and, and do your triceps like this is how you do this and this is how you do that. And I'm just like, don't tell me. I know about this. I'm two-time Mr. Olympia. I know what I'm doing. I got these kids working out the way I work out. And then when you saw 
I'm on with his shirt off, catching his 202 passes off of the machine. <laughs> you can see my man knows what he's doing in the weight room. So I, I love their dad. I think he was hilarious. And then we went into the game, right? And right before we went into the preseason game against Atlanta, um, I got to talk real quick about Dan Campbell's speech to the team. I love that speech. I, I, I also loved that speech when he told everybody, I'm going to lose my shit on you if you're out there fucking around and playing. I'm Mr. NFL Superstar on the sideline and waving to the crowd and shit while there's, there's 80 guys in the room right now and only 56 get to stay. And there's guys fighting to get out there to try to get one or two plays in if they can just so they can show what they can do on two damn plays. And those are your teammates, man. And they're, they're in here and fighting and scraping and dying with you every single day. And if you can't be out there to support them while they're trying to reach their goals and dreams, man, you're going to disrespect them by fucking off and not caring when they're in the game. I'm going to lose my shit on you. And that's just such a family message, man. And that was like, I, I love that message. He's 100% right. He's 100% right. Because you're not getting through an NFL season like he said in the very first speech in, the, in episode one when he stopped and told them all, this is the only time you're going to be 100%. You're all going to be hurt all year long. You know it. You're not going to be 100% till after the season. So that message just resonates when he's like, support these third and fourth string guys in this game right now, man, because we're not getting through the season without them. And we need to know which one of these ones are the best so we can take them with us because you guys are going to be hurt and banged up and these guys are going to have to come in and play. And they got to know that you got their back so that they can come in and have yours. This is family. Be up there and support each other. Or I'll lose my shit on you. It's honest, real, 100% right. And as far as how the game went, I mean, outside that debacle at the end of the game with the fumbled snap and stuff, I mean, that's preseason. Those are the third and fourth stringers in there. Who knows how often that center's working with Blau, and who knows, you know, all those things come into play. And, and at the end of the day, you don't want to see that, and he's right in the locker room when he says, but, hey, that's the shit we got to clean up and get better at, but you know that's where games are won and lost and things like that. He's right. So it's almost poetic that that happened during the, the end of the game so that he could get in there and address it and be like, that's exactly what I'm talking about. We just eliminate that, and we win the game, and we drown them. You know? It was almost poetic that it happened so he could get in there and wax on it. But as far as the game went, we saw what we expected to see. You know, the first series, the starting offense looked good, went right down the field and scored. You know what I mean? And then the Falcons came right down and scored. Defense didn't really stop them. And then as the second and third stringers started coming in, you know, you had sprinkled drives on both sides. Defense looked good, didn't look good. Offense moved the ball for the most part. You know, you, we saw what we expected to see. It's preseason. Okay? I was more concerned with seeing how Rodrigo played. Looked like he played decently. Looked like he played a lot better on special teams than he did at linebacker. But he had a couple plays at linebacker. Um, Hutchinson looked like the real deal. Hutchinson looked like the real deal. He's flying around. He's making plays. Um, I think that kid is going to be legit. I think that that pick is going to land as much as they think it's going to land. He looked great. But we saw what we expected to see. And, you know, I'm excited to see what the next episode brings what more they can reveal to us. And I'm a little bummed out that we didn't get lines on hard knocks when there was four preseason games. I'm a little bummed out, you know, because the content isn't as deep, it feels like, on this season of hard knocks as it was in the past when you had more preseason games. It seemed like you had a lot more camp, you had a lot more in-depth reps, and you had a lot more time to feel these guys out. And this feels a little bit rushed, you know what I mean? But it's still fun as hell. 
It's still fun as hell, and I'm enjoying it. And I'm looking forward to next week, man. So, hey, stay with me now. Next week, we're going to be on here. We're going to talk about it some more. We're going to get together with our resident gambler, Andy St. Clair. We're going to talk about uh, some NFL picks, as we do every single year when we break down a division. We break down our picks. We break down maybe what's some good gambling to do on division winners, maybe Super Bowl, things like that. Anyway, we're going to get Andy on the show. We're going to run a lot of that down. We're going to start putting some more baseball games up on the Twitter for you guys. We start getting some responses like, hey, man, what's up with where the baseball game's at? So we'll start putting that back on there and, uh, you know, Appreciate y'all, man. Stay with me now, and we'll see you next time.